This episode is brought to you by DNA Fit, providers of state-of-the-art genetic testing. Their services build a roadmap for your individualized health, fitness, and lifestyle goals by testing the genetic markers that make you unique. As a podcast listener, you get 30% off by going to dnafit.com and using the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT at checkout. Also brought to you by Primal Mayo. Made with pure avocado oil, organic cage-free eggs, rosemary extract, vinegar derived from non-GMO beets, and a dash of salt, you can turn any traditional dish into a superfood with just one serving. Healthy mayo? Who knew? Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement, available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. And now, here's your host, Brad Kearns. Hello, welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast Studios in Malibu, and we are here for an exciting roundtable discussion with some of our favorite all-star podcast hosts. We have L. Russ. Hey, everyone. We have Brad Kearns here on the mic, and yeah. we have Mark Sisson. What's up? We just enjoyed a delicious lunch, and we decided, these three powerhouse hosts, to just, just wing it today and talk about all kinds of important topics. And I want to start with... Uh, Mark, who just cut an incredible podcast with Laird Hamilton, and tell me about how that went. We're going to hear it on the channel, but let me give you your, uh, your after-the-fact insights. Oh, you know, Laird and I have been friends for a while, and um, he never ceases to amaze me. First of all, he's just, he's just a great guy. He's very knowledgeable. He's extremely intuitive about his life, about his relationships, about his training, about his eating strategy. And, you know, that's what I try to do with the Primal Blueprint is I try to teach this ability to cruise through life making good choices based on a strong sense of self and intuition. And, and Laird really exemplifies that. And he does so in a way that's full of excitement and joy and appreciation and all of the things that make life, you know, really worth living. So he's a – I'm just a huge fan. Yeah, some of the stuff that came up would be very memorable. Like you asked him about – how does he stay motivated to do these great challenges? And he said that it's all about innovation and variation. And he brought that example up of the, um, a cyclist who gets good at cycling. They start out going for their hour ride, and pretty soon they need to do a five-hour ride. An hour ride doesn't have that same effect. Yeah. And so he says, you know, with all these fresh inventions that he's doing, it all is going toward that goal of being innovative and, and, and facing another challenge. Yeah, it's, um, it's, it's always been sort of a, a dichotomy for me because on the one hand, I'm a creature of habit. So I like my routine and I find comfort in doing certain routines or exercise routines over and over again as long as I can compare each successive one to the previous one. You know what I mean? So if I can you know, lift a few more pounds or a few more reps or arrive at some destination faster for having jogged or, or hiked there... You know, and so I'm, I'm, I'm listening to Laird going, well, wait a minute, I gotta, I gotta, kind of reframe how I think about my training, 
and go back to this discovery. I mean, you know, my friend Tony Horton calls it muscle confusion. You know, how, how many different ways can you figure on working a muscle to, to get a benefit from the time that you're putting in and the effort you're putting in, A, without going crazy, B, without hurting yourself, and C, um, you know, in a, in a way that, um, that causes the muscle to want to get stronger. Yeah, I guess they're both okay if you're if you're going for your ultimate goal of having fun. I mean, that's the primal blueprint, uh, one of the essential foundations of it. And so, if you're that creature of habit, you like to do the same thing over and over. But I think it is uh, interesting to mix it up and step outside of that those habits, and um, all of a sudden you have a new habit or a new favorite workout that you never thought, never imagined. Like we were saying the other day, like we probably would have quit triathlon sooner if we'd found things that were uh, more fun. And they were presented right in front of our yeah, face. Yeah, like parkour. I mean, <laughs> if parkour had been around when I was a kid, I would have been a parkour. You've been highly ranked. Yeah, yeah. and, and inline skating, have a competition right? Competition element, right? For you guys to maybe be interested. No, that's a good point. I mean, uh, that's excellent. That I that for me, it was always about measuring myself against myself and against uh, you know other people, other golfers, other golfers. Yeah, <laughs> that's why I don't play golf. How do you measure yourself against other golfers? <laughs> By height. <laughs> Yeah, I think all those things are uh, are okay. They're part of the rules. Um, but I, I feel like what his message was was open your mind up to greater possibilities. And then here's a guy who's invented all these extremely successful products and he's made a big business out of it. But it stems from innovation and thinking outside the box and uh, the underwater workouts that he invited you to. And I'm sure you'll be there promptly now with his urging. Uh, but you know, whoever thought of working out in a pool where the weights are stacked, Gabby Reese is going to pick up a new weight at the bottom of her pool, a little uh, uh, dumbbell, and then doing the next set of exercises. So look at it on YouTube. We'll send a link in the show notes. But what an, what an incredibly fun workout. It sounds so cool. Do you guys ever lose motivation or need to kick yourselves in the rear to get to the gym or the hike? And, and if so, like how do, I know that when you're feeling exhausted, Mark, and you're not feeling like you have it in you, I know you don't push it, and I agree with that. But, you know, you guys are... Serious athletes who've competed many times, and I'm sure then you had to get a motivation. But what about now? I mean, obviously you're. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm not motivated much at all now, and <laughs> and and, and, I, and I mean that in a good way because <laughs> I'm lazy in a good way. When I go to the, if I go to the gym, you know, which isn't my favorite pursuit because it's not it's not f- that much fun. But when I go to the gym with work to do, uh, there are a lot of times when I'll be 12 or 15 minutes into the extra, into the routine and go, okay. I feel good. I'm done. I, I don't feel like there's any. You know, I'm not training for an event. I'm not seeing if I can, you know, exceed some vast number of pull-ups or push-ups or something like that. So it, it allows me that sort of um, peace of mind to say, okay, that was enough for today. Intuitively, it felt good. Um, you know, I'm not because I'm not training for anything. I don't feel like I had to set a new benchmark or set a new thing. And and you know that what that does is that keeps keeps me fresh enough so that the next day, if there's a great hike that somebody's offering or a stand-up paddle or a game of frisbee or something like that i'm refreshed i i'm still i did the work so i'm still fit enough to do it but now i go out and have fun and and you know experience the true joy of the movement as opposed to you know having to go back and and record all the reps and all the sets and all the crap just for just because i'm trying to you know measure myself against something that no longer appeals to me yeah, yeah, I think that's a really, uh, it's an important question. It's a, it's a deep question. It's like, what happens when you don't have a goal anymore? And I'll say personally, like from getting out of that triathlon game where I was completely 100% immersed in it for nine years and had these driving goals that every morning there was no second thought that I was going to do whatever it took, 
whether I, whether I had, you know, a, a whiny attitude or a, th- those things just were disappeared out the rearview mirror in five seconds. And then one day, all of a sudden, I have no goals at all. And I think that's a nice position to be in because then you can become a more intuitive and exploring athlete. You don't have those high risks of burnout or getting stale or getting obsessive compulsive if you are hyper competitive type person. Um, so there's nothing wrong with pursuing a goal. But I think, you know, what we've been talking about so much with the primal endurance book, Mark, is like, how do we get it in writing in first place? But yeah. how do we balance that line yeah. of having these driven goals? And that's wonderful. You want to finish, cross the finish line of the Hawaii Ironman. Um, we're sorry for disparaging it for so many years on the internet after looking back and saying, wow, that was crazy and unhealthy. But if you have these driving goals, all the power to you, it makes life rich and fun. But how do you get, how do you get to the finish line? in a nice, dynamic, intuitive, and natural manner where you have that ability to pull back after 12 minutes and go, yeah, I feel like you know maybe this is not my day. I'm going to pull out right now. And so it's a constant struggle to harness that type A uh, drive that gets you to achieve these great things, well, but not to, not, to ruin, not to let it ruin you. We still have a little bit because people can't see us now, but if they did earlier, they would have watched you and Mark geek out on some old stats. From some <laughs> the of the old, old races. Dusting off the old dusting stats. Off. So there's something really exciting, you know, pouring over that. There must have been something within that. I mean, obviously, I can't relate. I've never been. I, I'm competitive sports, but nothing in like triathlons, etc. What about now, though, Brad? Like, do you ever get unmotivated to go work out or go do a little bit of exercise? Not if you're feeling run down, but what then goes through your mind? Like, what motivates you? Are you like, oh, I'm going to feel better after? Yeah. Or this is for my anti aging? Or what is it that tells you to get up and go? Do a hike. Wow. Yeah, I think it's hopefully for everyone who's listening and and thinking about the question that you just asked me, you know, hopefully it's instant gratification is high on the list there. Because if you don't, if you're not getting instant gratification from a workout and you're doing it because I'm trying to control my freaking weight that keeps gaining. Well, what's the instant gratification though? It's the enjoyment of the experience in the present. And one of my things, this is sort of cheating, but every morning I'm laying in bed. And I hear across our wood floors, running across our house, this little 20-pound dog is flying out of my son's room where she's kidnapped for the night. She jumps up on my bed and starts licking my ear. She dives right into my ear because that's, that's the signal that it's time to go for my morning run. And I cannot let that animal down and her big sister <laughs> who's too big for the bed. But they get out every single day, whether I feel like it or not. And I think that's nice that I get out. But I really feel like I owe it to my dogs. I'm a pet owner. I want to give them a good life. And so my own whiny little motivation and how busy I am and all that stuff, it doesn't enter into it when a dog is jamming its tongue down your ear. And so I think that's a great setup that I have. And Laird mentioned that too. Like sometimes his motivation might waver, but he has that camaraderie where someone's showing up at his house for his morning swim workout. And it's like he may or may not be ideally motivated. And you can't ask that every single day. But when you set yourself up with like, Mark, your social hour, as you've said, is going to the gym. Yeah. So maybe it's 80% social and 20% hard work one time, but you're there and you got the work done. Once I'm there, I may as well do it, right? Um, <laughs> you know, but I, I just joined another gym recently and they had a new piece of equipment. And I, I, I'm compelled now by this new piece of equipment because all of a sudden there's a challenge <laughs> at the gym. It's a, basically a rope pull machine and there's a challenge. This rope pull machine really kind of fantastic machine it's a climbing rope that goes through some pulleys and it's measured like a concept two rower so it tells you aggregate number of feet that you pulled um, at feet per minute 
how much time is left on your whatever interval you're doing, all this stuff. And they have this new challenge, which is how many, how many feet can you accumulate doing a downward pull, an upward pull, and a sideways pull. And you have a minute to do each of these routines. Uh, and you have 20 minutes to complete the task because it, it's so glycolytic. It's so anaerobic when you're doing it that um, like I literally haven't felt like puking after a workout as much as I felt in the last cu- couple of times that I've done this. But, <laughs> hey, but what a motivator. It's, it, it's so, it's, it's short and it's sweet and I knew it complete when I wore a younger man's clothes. But it, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, but it, but it, to me it's a new challenge. So yeah. now there's a number on the board and everybody's sort of competing against, you know, who can accumulate the most number of, of, uh, of feet in this challenge. And for me, that was kind of a fun little thing that says, okay, all the other stuff I've been doing in the gym applies to the techniques that I'm using on this rope pull. So pull-ups and dips and side, you know, all the, all of the other, uh, even lunges and squats because there's a lot of stuff where you reach up, you jump up and reach and pull down like you're ringing a giant bell in a, in a belfry, but you do it 75 times in a minute, you know. So it's like doing weighted, uh, almost like burpees or squats or something like that. But the point is that once it's over... It's I'm I'm like got a massive pump going. I feel like photogs no, come over here. No, yeah, quick, come over get, here at once. Get please, a, please get call photo, the photogs get a, over. Get a photograph quick. You know, um, but it, but it's kind of fun to have a new piece of equipment that I hadn't used before. That um, you know that I'm excited about. And I'm sure I'll get bored with it. You know, relatively soon. But until then, or until I max out on it, here I am, almost 62 years old, throwing up numbers that beat everybody in the gym except the trainers. Oh, so they really do have numbers on the wall. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So kind of like a CrossFit setup where yeah. they have all the people. Yeah, yeah. That's that's you know, that, everyone responds to that. It's pretty cool. Was yeah. there ever anything fun about running <laughs> in all of your? Look, um, Brad and I and about seven other guys who trained on this one team. There were. Many bike rides when we would go off and we would be just laughing and joking and telling great stories. And, you know, we'd be at a sub-maximal heart rate until we hit the hills and it would really be quite enjoyable. It would be that sort of social aspect to it. Didn't hurt at all, really. Uh, you know, felt good. You're in the zone. But, you know, once the hill climbs start and all of a sudden you, you, you get into the work zone and, and now you're, you know, mano a mano against the guy who's on your left and, um, there were times when we'd go off running into the hills. We'd do a 15-mile run in the trails up here with just speedos on, and you know, getting in sun, you know, some kind of suntan lotion or something. But but we would, and we wouldn't talk. But we would, you know, we we'd be like real primitive kind of guys, just be in in that same space, sharing amazing vistas and views. Um, you know, tanning at the same time. Tanning. You know, it's, uh, and it was, but it was those are those are magical times. And they were, I suppose you could argue that, that a lot of that was fun. Yeah, sure. That yeah. sounds like fun. Yeah. yeah, I think you might have been asking about Mark's uh, statement that he's made at a lot of live talks where he said, at no point in a during my marathon or, or intense <laughs> right. competitive career was I having fun because it's so painful and you're going at your absolute maximum. And so the fun kind of doesn't enter into it there. Um, but one thing occurs to me on that topic is this great youth basketball coach that coached my son, Ken G., and I was talking to him about, as a, as a coach myself, trying to get the message right and, and the, and the um, you know, set the, set the vibe right for the kids. And I said, well, you know, the most important thing is for the kids to have fun, right? And he said, oh, no, not, not necessarily. He goes, this is the most important thing about youth sports. The most important thing is to have a positive experience for the kids. That's not the same as fun. 
fun, you can send them out in the backyard with, you know, a couple of water guns and they can squirt each other and, and at the basketball team party, they can have fun. But when they're here and it's all organized and we have referees and fancy uniforms and we travel to this thing, it's, it's about having a positive experience, which sometimes might include getting your ass kicked or, you know, com- competing at a high intense level where it's physically challenging, such as the case of an endurance athlete or mentally challenging, like having the free throws to win the game and you miss both of them and you go home and you let your team down and all that, those are positive growth experiences. So I think back to the endurance athlete example, you know, having that sense that you had mastered something and that you were able to perform at a high level, that was a really positive experience. And when I crossed the finish line, you know, I could say, what a fun day. I just kicked everyone's ass and (laughs) won a lot of money and got my picture in the magazine and all that. But, you know, the actual pain and the intensity of it um, it doesn't have to be called fun, but it, was, it could be called a positive experience, and then sure. you know you can relate to that a lot better. That's interesting because I was just thinking back to um, having done a lot of those contests, and as a local runner in New England, you know I, I would win a lot of the 10Ks or 10 milers or even some of the marathons, and they, they were great. But one of the more positive experiences, I just showed you the results of a race that I did where I finished 48th place. <laughs> And it was, and I yet I ran a PR. I ran one of my best times ever, and that was a positive experience. So you know, it was, it's really it, it doesn't have to be you know a uh, black or white kind of thing. It's relative to the moment. It's relative to where you are in your life. It's relative to what your goals are, um, how you woke up that morning, you know, and, and whether you had a good attitude or a bad attitude. So I think there's a lot of um, a lot of different nuances to uh, to this oh, yeah. training and working out. And whether it's enjoyable, uh, just for the, you know, whether it's pleasurable and fun versus whether it's a positive life experience mm-hmm. versus whether it's something that you maybe you go home and you simply don't feel guilty for having sat home and doing nothing. <laughs> that's better. Okay, that's progress. That's, <laughs> that's a, start. a start. Yeah, yeah. I, I think this is where, uh, especially the extreme or the really devoted fitness enthusiasts and athletes miss miss the boat a little. So I want to harp on this a little more before we go on. And it reminds me of the Roger Bannister quote that we love so much that's in the introduction of Primal Endurance, where he said, struggle gives meaning and richness to life. It's such a cool quote. (laughs) Struggle, yeah. But he's, I I think the the message that I take away from that is is a properly executed struggle, where you're a healthy guy, you've trained for this goal event, and you're trying to break the four minute mile in his case, and that's wonderful. But I think a lot of people struggle through a fitness regimen due to obsessive compulsive tendencies or misinformation or whatever it is where they feel like it should be part of the deal to get sick all the time and and work through injuries instead of being rested and balanced. So when you say struggle, you want to have that struggle properly executed, just like in a, in a career workplace where you're struggling to get your startup to IPO so you can uh, cash out. Well, that's great. Good, good luck on your struggle. But if you have a crappy job where you're struggling to get along with your coworkers or uh, you know, be respected by your peers, that's a whole different deal. All right. I have so a question there. for you, Mark. So you were just at Paleo FX. Yep. And you presented. We'll be seeing those videos soon. But what, what was it about Paleo FX that you might have learned that was new and interesting or something that really touched you in a way? Um, what stood out for you at Paleo FX? Well, the first thing that stands out is uh, there were uh, over 2,500 people there, I hear. And uh, the, the stories... People would come up to me and share their stories. And these are, you know, every one of these stories would make, you know, a great, a great book in, in many cases about how people have 
how, how they've changed their lives, or they've changed the lives of the, or their family members or friends around them. And that was what the most compelling thing was how powerful this technology that we've sort of um, assumed within the primal blueprint for sure in the paleo community in general, how this technology really works. That was uh, driven home very, very hard and eloquently to me by all the people that I met. Uh, the other thing that I noticed about this, and I'm, it became the theme of my own talk there, was how uh, it seems that the, the paleo movement in general sort of uh, in its desire to get as far away from conventional wisdom as possible, swung that pendulum so far out to the right-hand side where grains were horrible and legumes were horrible and all sugar was bad and all carbs are bad and, and all omega-3 fats are great but all omega-6 fats are bad. And it became this, we, in our, we became so anti-dogmatic and became dogmatic in our own right. So my, my sense and my talk was about how we need to maybe Take a look at what's happened the last couple of years and swing the pendulum back. And life doesn't have to be that that you know hard, full on all the time struggle that you just mentioned. But life, you know, let's enjoy it. Really, the reason for the primal blueprint is to live awesome. That's that was my intention from day one. Is how can I extract the greatest pleasure, contentment, fulfillment, um, satisfaction from my life from moment to moment, not just in little bits and pieces here or there once in a while, but as often as possible, based on the choices I'm making uh, and the the way that I'm cruising through life, responding to obstacles that are put in my way, am I doing it in a way that's intuitive and fun and loving and productive and, and as a result, feeling really good in this moment now? Not about, okay, well, one day when I lose 40 pounds mm-hmm. and I get off the meds, then I'll feel really good. No. How do I feel really good right now at this moment here? How did that go over? <laughs> it was, I'll feel great when I gain 40 pounds and start the meds. No, I'm just kidding. It was, it was very well received, and people came up to me and afterwards and said you know, that it resonated with them very strongly, and, and they were waiting for somebody to say that and kind of make, in some regard, give a little bit more permission to, to tinker at the margins and to play around a little bit with, with maybe introducing some foods that they thought were just completely taboo because they weren't on the on the on the paleo top 10 list sure. hey it's brad kearns to talk about our partner on the podcast dnafit.com cutting edge genetic testing to identify your particular diet and exercise attributes and optimal lifestyle behaviors to align with your genetic expectations it's great stuff try it out very simple process. You send a swab sample through the mail and receive by email a detailed written printout and graphic representation of all your genetic particulars that will help you inform the ideal diet and exercise practices that align with optimal gene expression. Take advantage of their 30% discount on their comprehensive package just for listening to the podcast. Enter the code PRIMALBLUEPRINT at dnafit.com. You have a lot of success stories. People have lost 100 pounds. Skin conditions have gone away. Out of the people that came up to you, uh, and you usually get it, including from some of your employees, including myself, that you are their hero. What was there one story that really stands out that, that hit you? Well, you know, what's interesting is, is the answer is no, because there's so many stories that are so compelling. Uh, and I, I had to hold back the tears a lot during the three days because somebody would come up and, and basically be offering me a gift, which is their story. 
Mm-hmm. You know, and it's not, it's, it's, it's a situation where um, they are so invested in what happened to them and they so want to explain to me or to anybody how they overcame these obstacles, whether it was the weight, whether it was the medicines, whether it was some debilitating illness or injury or whatever. So it, it's, it was just mind-blowing how impressive so many of these stories were. And it brought me back to this realization that there are a lot of people in this country who are suffering who don't have to be suffering. Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of people out there who are in pain, who are overweight, who are depressed because of the pain or the overweight, uh, who are living it uh, moment to moment in a, in a state of... of feeling like a victim because there's not much they can do about it or resignation because they tried and, and it, frustration because it failed. And the the real message to me is that, again, that this technology that we have, this, this and I, it's a weird word to use, technology, because it's just a way of eating and a way of living, but this this methodology that we, that we can overlay onto just about everyone and get results. And in some cases, the results are better and nice and great, and that's all wonderful. In some cases, they're fantastic and, and life-saving. Uh, and that's that's the message I got, was that we're, we're really doing the right thing here, and uh, we have a way that, uh, that of living and eating and exercising that would benefit so many people if they just found out about it, if we could just get the message out there. There's, there's some talk now that this, this primal paleo thing has been exploding for four, five, six, seven years, right? And there's some talk that maybe it's leveled off now um, at whatever number, like aren't they throwing out numbers like there's an estimated 2 million people that are somewhat primal paleo enthused in the country? In the U.S. So, yeah, my question would be like, are we going to rapidly ascend to 20 million, which is totally not not out of the question? Or have we leveled off and does there need to be some type of shift in the in the movement to grab uh, more mainstream people right out of the, you know, the supermarket uh, aisles or wherever they're wandering right now. Yeah, I think it'll actually just catch on naturally because of the success stories, because anyone who's following the eat every two, three hours or those kind of diets that we know really kind of mismanage your insulin, you eventually fail on those. And so everyone in my life who's changed their life or had great success stories is because they saw the change in me or they were like, wow, if she can withstand it or it works for her. But I think the success stories are so strong, particularly the fact that it really eliminates when you get fat adapted, the food addiction, which is the worst mm-hmm. thing in the world is to have your mind constantly occupied on when's dinner going to be, when am I going to eat later? It feels like you're an insane person, you know, and there were times when I really felt like, Oh my God, do I have to go to counseling for or And what it was, it was my blood sugar levels and mm-hmm. my cortisol it had nothing to do with me and my brain and how I think it was how food was making me think mm-hmm. it wasn't my fault. You know, one of the things I tell a lot of people like, look, if you're craving food every three, four hours, it's not because you have a problem. It's your body has a problem. That's making your mind think yeah. you. Yeah. Right. So, I mean, I feel like so I'm not a this- lazy, undisciplined loser. No, for going in and grazing and (laughs) snacking all day. Yeah. I mean, yes and no, right? So I feel like it'll catch on because it was really the only thing I've ever tried that eliminated that horrible addiction. Yeah, I don't think there's there's some magic inflection point that's going to happen that we're waiting for. I just think it's a slow, linear process. It's grassroots. It always has been. Um, It's like Elle said, it's one person telling another person, oh, you look great. How did you do it? Uh, or I understand you feel awesome. Tell me about what you're, mm-hmm. you know, how, how you're eating. And that's on the one hand, that's a slow 
way of doing it. On the other hand, it's very it, it, it's it's compelling enough that you get a lifetime adherent. In other words, it isn't it's just a short term thirty day. Oh, I'll try it and see what. I, no people who experience these kind of results and do so in in a meaningful way that has them feeling better now. The, the burden is on them that if they go off this program, now they know what, now that, now they know what the problem really is. And now it's just a choice. Am I gonna, am I gonna go back to my old ways and feel miserable and gain weight and, and, you know, not have any energy? Or am I gonna stay somewhat disciplined, but certainly just mindful of what I'm eating and how I'm moving and continue to, to feel better and better for the foreseeable future, like for decades into the future? Um, so you have the success stories on one hand, and then you have, on the other side, um, the stories of pain and desperation in many people. Well, and so we're going to try to put those people together by logging on to MarkStanleyApple.com and hitting the right links. But I think that's what that's what needs to meet is these people that are frustrated and uh, you know maybe have given up on the idea that food can promote good health and and just completely checked out. Um, how well, are they going to come the around? The evidence is yeah. out there, especially with grains and triggering autoimmune conditions. So anybody with that running in their family or Hashimoto's, etc., really needs to take a look at that evidence. So it's really not just about manipulating body fat and body weight, right? It's about anti-aging, longevity, and not giving ourselves diseases we don't need to have. Um, you know what I mean? So I think the evidence, too. It's just going to come out more and more. It is. Right. So the, the respected mainstream pillars that have long scoffed at this stuff or said the exact opposite, now we see that tide turning, which I think is a huge uh, a huge vehicle where people are uh, looking at the cover of Time Magazine last summer where it says the exercise myth. Um, guess what? Butter. Exercise doesn't help you control weight. Or the other one that said, oops, we were wrong. Sorry, butter's okay and, and margarine will kill you. That fine, you know, it's been... It had a good 30-year run, those uh, oxidized oils, and now people are finally coming around, uh, you know, the, the main leader, leading voices. Not just these fringe blogger guys that <laughs> live in Malibu. And I think, know. too, when people start to understand that carbs are not just grains and not just flour-based. So I ran into someone at the supermarket the other day at the Whole Foods meat section. They had bison ribs, you know, uh, pre-cooked, and they are amazing. And I ordered a bunch of them, and she said, oh, those are so good. Are they... Are they less fatty than the beef ribs? <laughs> I was like, okay, here we go. So I just gave her kind of a crash <laughs> Here comes Elle. Hi, my name's Elle. I'm a podcast host. I'm an author and a health coach. And here we go. I just gave her like a total crash course on fat. I told her about the Time Magazine cover, and I kind of gave her a rundown. And so it's still amazing that people – and so she said, well, I probably do eat high carb. She goes, are you talking – you're talking about like grains and chips and things like that. And I said, you know, fruit – is the carb. I've overcarbed <laughs> it many times on going to town right. on fruit. You have two bananas a day, you got a bowl of raspberries, next thing you know, you know what I mean? Um, so I think people just understand that carbs is anything that's not protein and fat and that it includes healthy, quote unquote, foods. And so I think too, just definitions. I think people are right. unclear the about basics. the definitions yeah. of the basics. Yeah. Uh, more mainstream people just don't understand that carbs are not just flour-based items. Uh -huh. Does that make any sense? Yeah, sure. I mean, Dr. Sinha said the same. Like His book, South Asian Health Solution, he works with a lot of South Asian heritage people in the Bay Area. And he's like, I mean, he said, these are the smartest population. These are the highest technology workers on the planet. And they don't have the slightest inclination of what's healthy and what's not in terms of food. And so starting that educational process and refuting some of these things. I mean, I find that struggle. And that was going to be my next question is like, 
how do you find a person who's receptive and how do you uh, hit that opening, that fractal to get into their, their head and give them that chance to do a 21-day experiment? And that's a, that's a challenge. Well, I don't think it's a challenge that I want to take on, though. That's the thing. No, no, right, I, right. No, yeah. here's what I'm saying. It's not my job to convince somebody that their life sucks. <laughs> you know, and, and that's I, a great point. No, I mean, um, I'm I'm ready, willing, and able to give them whatever information, the benefit of my experience, and the benefit of my research, and and what I would uh, consider to be some great suggestions as how they might want to consider reframing their life or eating certain ways that may give them a better chance at at arriving at the outcome that they. That they're seeking, but but it's not my job to convince the world to become paleo or primal. Mm-hmm. My job is simply to educate people um, and to be open to a, to sharing the information that I have with people who are truly interested and who come to me in search of my ideas and opinions and philosophies. So that means if you're going to a casual gathering or you're sitting on a plane for a 13-hour flight from Zurich to LAX, and you're sitting next to the person, and they say, what do you do, you know? Um, how far are you going to tiptoe down that line, or are you going to use any bit of high enthusiasm that you're bottled up inside that you have the secret to this guy's health problems as he's, he's popping pills on the transcontinental flight? I don't want to take Mark's thunder on this, but I would say <laughs> I just feel like Mark is so less judgmental than probably newly certified paleo people like me who, you know, you get charged, you get so charged up and it works so well for you that you do kind of look at other people and go, oh my God, I can't, you have the thought of, oh God, I can't believe they're eating that. Even though you used to be that person. I, I don't, Mark, you don't really look at people that way. You were really not judgmental. Yeah, he hires smokers, to... I heard. I saw someone taking a cigarette break. I think it was a temp worker, but I'm like, whoa, dude, don't wear that shirt and smoke a cigarette outside our office. Come on. Super liberal. I think you're really cool about that. You're not trying to... Probably because you backed up against too much heat, so you just let it go? No, no, it's just... Um, like I said, I, I, it's, it's part cool. of getting old. It's part of just you know, let, letting, it, letting it go. <laughs> you say not caring, but there's a certain element of that, but it's mostly just letting it go. And yeah. just saying, you know, I've, um, I was really uh, vocal in my early days, and, uh, you know, I was, I was... You should um, run a marathon, Brad. It's great. It's only 26.2 miles. <laughs> Yeah, and as I've gotten older, I've, I guess I've gotten more reserved and more um, just a- allowing of certain ways of you know of people's proclivities or whatever. But um, you know, say what happens on a plane. I mean, if somebody asks me what I do, I say, well, generally I'll say, have you heard of the stand up? Have you heard of the paleo diet? I say, well, well, I, ta- I write about that in my particular spin on it. It's called the Primal Blueprint, and then. If they say tell me more, I'll tell them more. And if they don't, I leave I leave it at that. Mm-hmm. So it's you know it's just um, my really wanting to uh, be invited to talk about it as opposed to forcing myself upon somebody. Oh, I think you're walking your talk too. So someone might say, "Dude, how freaking old are you? How, well, what's that six pack doing there?" <laughs> I ask myself that every time I see yeah. my <laughs> yeah. I, I got mean, it today at the gym. Same thing. Awesome. Yeah. yeah, I mean that yeah. has to be. The number one uh, calling card, yeah. I would say. And then number two is maybe a soft approach where you're not a uh, you know bombastic, uh, uh, dogmatic type of person right when you open your mouth. So I'm going to rethink some of my approaches now. I'm sorry about that, everyone who's listening. That I... Well, I want to say this. Any, anything in life. So when I hear someone say, gosh, I've always wanted to live in California. I would love to live in California. Oh, I would love. If you really wanted to be doing it, you'd be doing it. Mm-hmm. End of story. You know, the reason I even got on this train to probably even get to the point where I met someone like Mark who eventually did save my health 
is because I wanted it badly. I looked for it all the time. I, I, I made it, uh, it was a huge desire for me. And I have friends who've been talking about losing weight who are extremely overweight for five or so years. And I'm at the point now where I just say to them, you don't want it bad enough. Just look at yourself and realize you don't want it badly enough because if you did, you'd be doing something. Like when Harry met Sally, when she's having lunch with her friend, who's uh, you know the mistress, and she's wondering if the husband's ever going to leave the wife, and she's like, "He'll he'll never leave her." I know, I know, but do you think this necklace means something? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, if you really want to be yeah. doing it, you'd be doing it. You can, like yeah. Mark said, you can't convince someone that their life sucks. They have to get to the point. They have to really want to change it. Um, I really wanted to feel comfortable in my body. I really didn't want to live this awful... Uh, granted, the body uncomfortability was stemmed from hypothyroidism and some other things that I had no control over. But still, I wanted it so badly. It was mm-hmm. even less of an aesthetic thing. It was I just wanted to feel comfortable in my own skin. And so I did everything I could to achieve it. Yeah. And I won by, you know, accidentally sort of meeting... I didn't know who Mark was before I got a job with him. So... You know, in my search and in my passion for it, I found the ultimate answer and the ultimate job, really. So um, so let me play devil's advocate with you guys and, and say, what about if you're sitting there watching a loved one wash their health away with prescription pills that are ill-advised, such as statins or what have you, and are you going to sit back and wait for them to be receptive, or is there a different... <laughs> no, I mean, something that, else that's, a, that's a different situation, but... Um, I'm just saying with a perfect stranger, you don't want to mm-hmm. be, you know, you don't want to walk, walk up to somebody, who, you know, in, in Walmart who's, you know, clearly got a weight problem and hand them a card and say, give me a call or something like that. That's, you know, yeah. which people do. I mean, that, that used to be, <laughs> I mean, yeah, I, have a card I mean, here remember from... Herbalife's original yeah. thing, lose weight now, you know, or ask me how, yeah, ask and me if how. you don't, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, you know, we're, we're, we're not Sometimes there. Sometimes I can't but, help it. Like I was in the steam room uh-huh. recently and there were two very, very overweight women and they were talking about how frustrated they were. I thought you were going to say two were. overweight guys. And I'm <laughs> yeah. like, what were you doing in the steam room? Snuck in the male steam room, <laughs> as usual. And they were talking about, you know, they were how frustrated they were and they've got even healthier and they were obese college students. Okay, they were mm. both obese. And I heard the one talking about pasta and I'm sitting there and I'm just like, oof. So I just said, hey, you know, I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to eavesdrop, but I'm a I don't have coach a card on I me. Just, it's all wet. I just wet, want to talk but... to you about grains at the very least. You know, I just was like, hey, just let me give you a couple tips. And then you can kind of tell how receptive someone is. You know, I didn't push it too hard. I just gave kind of a snapshot. But what I did share with them is that, you know what, you don't have to be seriously overweight to get diabetes. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, um, you know, and this is about health stuff and about longevity, and this is not about like so, Mark so, says being on the cover of Shape magazine. But so back to motivation. A lot of people um, who have twenty or thirty or forty pounds to lose, um, it's not enough for them to move yet. It's not. It's not bad enough for them to move. Right. And so many people who come to Mark's Daily Apple um, don't come to Mark's Daily Apple to necessarily lose weight or to, uh, you know, to look to, to look good naked because they're already in shape. These, that's why we get such great success stories. These are people who are in serious, mm-hmm. serious medical health mm-hmm. conditions. Mm-hmm. And they are at their, at, at their wit's end. They're people who have been t- on the medications. Uh, they've, you know, they've got the conditions that won't clear up that are getting worse. They've got the skin conditions, the polycystic ovarian syndrome, the, uh, you know, all of the type 2 diabetes markers. Everything is, is working against them. And now they're at a point where they, they literally see their life flashing before and them. And they want it that badly. And right? they want it badly. And that's it's sort of the unfortunate part of that is that's what it takes for a lot of people 
to be willing to make the shift is, oh my God, I'm going to die if I don't do something soon uh, that, that takes me away from this otherwise downward slope that I'm on. Um, and that's, so that's why I say when, it, when we talk about some inflection point, a lot of people come to this because they might have, they might have heard, well, you can't eat, you know, any of those, you can't eat my favorite cereal, I can't have a sandwich for lunch, I can't, you know, drink right. any more beer, I can't eat more pasta, my grandmother's Italian, that's going to, you know, that's going to kill her. Uh, and so therefore I'm not compelled to want to try this because I don't have a, a valid enough reason yeah. yet. Yeah. So the people who really come to paleo and primal come there because a lot of times because they've got a seriously valid reason. Yeah. Yeah, like a diagnosis or yeah. a, which is too bad. It has to get to that point. Yeah. You know, and I'm like, I feel like back to your question about motivation to exercise and I got the little dog in my ear, but the other one I just thought of is, um, I remember throwing my back out. Maybe I was 40 years old or something and I was wolfing down some scrambled eggs at the counter. So I was leaning over eating these eggs and all of a sudden I was on the ground just moaning in pain. And it was about, you threw your back out from a meal? From leaning over to eat eggs, yeah. Wow. And I had done, I think I'd done some pull-ups earlier that morning, and who knows what happened. But um, I wasn't a totally fit person at that time. I was still doing my bike rides. I could ride my bike for two hours in the hills and jog for an hour, so I thought I was fit with quotes around it. But I hadn't been doing proper strength training, and it was an example of how fragile I was. And I was down for nine days. I mean, four days, I couldn't even get out of the couch. And it was just, it was horrible. And it scared the crap out of me. And I said, I'm going to work my abs until they fall off for the rest <laughs> of my life. Because I never want to be stuck on a couch again. But it was a glimpse of like, here's what it's like to get old and feeble and all those things mm-hmm. in, a, in a snap of the fingers. So it's nice to have those motivators in the, in the background. Um, but I feel like it, it, collectively society is really so busy and so into decadence and luxury that... Um, there's, there's, it would be nice if there were those preventative motivations, like I want longevity and I don't want to, uh, suffer a a, a steady, painful decline, but, um, maybe we got to get less busy or something to, to hit that. And that would be instead of a a slow, steady growth, it would be, you know, a, a giant spike where millions of people tomorrow went on the 21 day, uh, transformation program to, test how it feels to get off those toxic substances that are compromising their health. I had a friend recently who is treated on thyroid hormone, has Hashimoto's, but is doing well, although eating grains contributes to the levels of antibodies that they experience, and you don't want that in your life. And so yeah. she literally was the last person I would ever have thought would go paleo, intentionally didn't give her the book, intentionally didn't talk to her about it, because I thought there's no way she's giving up her oatmeal and her pasta. It's not going to happen. But when she read and learned about the evidence regarding the antibodies in her condition, it got her interested because she saw that there was a potential for long-term extra problems. And so that really changed. And oddly enough, she was she's always a tall, skinny person, but the way that her body reshaped after going paleo was phenomenal. More importantly, just her level of, wow, I'm eating less food overall. I'm not ravenous every day after exercise and all the other amazing changes. And she looks like a new person who I never would thought it would even be interested, but something, a potential medical, you know, disaster is what propelled her to look into it. Um, yeah, and I think Mark's right. Until you're at your wit's end, I mean, I was propelled because of a medical issue. So I think, you know, you get to that point and then you start looking online and you're like, hmm. I'm ready. Yeah. You know. Uh, so let's say there's a, a, a listener who's maybe um, 
not all the way full into this, a, a, a casual uh, enthusiast, obviously enough to listen to the podcast. But what do you think's um, a, a fun, easy, painless step to take to take that next step to uh, you know ultimate health and living primally? Well, you know, it's, it certainly depends on where they are currently on the spectrum. I mean, obviously, if you're if you haven't given up sugars and <laughs> processed carbs yet, you're not even close to being. Um, primal, and that's the first step I'd recommend anyone do. And it becomes sequential, so that's that's like step number one. Step number two would be give up the the um, the harmful oils, the seed oils, and all of the, the the bad fats and crap that we've been consuming for too long. Um, some people would actually say that's number one, actually giving up mm, those. Doctor Kate was yeah. big on that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Uh, and then you know, as you get down, the are you walking every day? Because mm. I, I I think walking is probably the single best thing you can that a person can do for oneself. Um, you know, I just got back from 10 days in Europe. We walked six to eight miles every day, including some pretty significant hikes. You should like, have taken the train, man. you got trains everywhere. <laughs> I, I know. The one thing I didn't get to do was I didn't get to do any stand-up paddling, and here I was in the south of France oh, with some of the bum, yeah. best, you know, best <laughs> possible stuff. But I was with other people. So, But anyway, so then walking, and then at some point as you go down the line one of the first things I say to people who are stalled or plateaued are you sprinting so sprinting is just like magic elixir for some people to get to the next level but you cut out all the you, you cut out all that in between stuff those steady tempo runs that are yeah you know what I tell people in general is to start especially if you aren't is motivated in general to exercise or you're not an exerciser is don't throw that in the mix yet. Master the food, oh. go through the 21 days, get fat adapted. Don't even think about working out because most of the time you're going to overwork out. You're going to burn glucose. Uh-huh. You're going to be hungry because you're uh-huh. not familiar and you're going to be like, I'm excited. I'm going to still, I still have them walk though. Well, I mean, I'm not saying don't do anything, but yeah. if, if someone's really unmotivated in terms of getting to the gym or it's 20 below and you're in Chicago yeah, and you that. can't afford yeah. it, it's like for the first month, just, you know what? It takes a lot of willpower. To, to become fat adaptive if you're a major sugar burner. It's a, it can be a tough transition sometimes. And so I just say, you know, master the willpower of that month first. And then once you've mastered that, you're going to feel so great and you'll be so motivated. Yeah, then it doesn't take that much willpower either. No, it yeah. take willpower after that. Um, I was talking to my friend Glenn about this, who's agreed to try a 21-day transformation after many years of... Knowing about it and lingering, yeah. Um, and if, if there's a willpower issue coming up, um, you know, Austin watched that with uh, giant handfuls of macadamia nuts and a couple uh, sliced apples coated with almond butter and these, you know, whatever amounts of delicious snacks you need. And let's put the weight loss aside for the first month and just say, make sure you're satisfied. And, and yeah. even if it's even if it's stuffed, but you got to cut the sugars and grains out to, to moderate that insulin level. But you can you can stuff that fat down your face until you're you're happy as a pig. Mm-hmm. The whole time, and you're still doing gene reprogramming and all that great stuff. And I think people are so conditioned to um, seeing a dietary change as a struggle and all that kind of thing that um, they, they even they even fail with primal paleo. It's like, well, wait, what happened? I How think could it's you being fail? Overly ambitious, right? As, yeah. as, like know yourself. Like I've already been sort of regularly active for years, so to. Uh, work out for me is not like an extra new thing I'm adding into my life. But if you've been sedentary for years, I just had my, one of my best friends from Chicago who works a nine to five office job, has three kids, doesn't belong to a gym, completely transformed, um, 
into being paleo. But the first month, really, I said, don't focus on trying to sign up for a new gym or do something new. Just master the willpower because uh-huh. that first couple of weeks can be tough. You know, I got called from him saying, ah, oh, it's like, I'm hungry. Uh, I want to uh, And I've gone to Mark even like, Mark, I don't know what, you know what am I doing in the first two weeks. And Mark's like, well, what are you snacking on? What are you doing? And oh, you little make, Debbie's. You can, <laughs> They're headquartered here in Chicago. Stuff. It's more important to me for people to make the fat transition into fat burning yeah. than it is to jump all three at once. I'm going to work out every day and I'm going to, eh, it's a lot to kind of yeah. manage. I'd all rather right. see people kind of nail the food part first. Yeah. Right um, on. Agreed. Agreed. Hey, Mark and L. thanks. It's been fun. Thank you. Uh, if you enjoyed this living room chat with Brad, Mark and L, and you want to join us for, and be a fourth, please enter our contest at <laughs> blog.primal. Just kidding. Well, maybe not. We'll put a, we'll put a contest up there. Um, Maybe we can. We should uh, have a contest to find a, out what new challenging things we could get Mark to get excited about workout. Oh like this boy. rope machine. I can't wait the to see what machine, this is about. The rope machine, the underwater Laird Hamilton workout. The <laughs> possibilities are endless. It's great stuff. Speed golf, I've been threatening to get him out there yeah, for a while. Get into that. Um, so thanks so much for listening to the Primal Blueprint podcast. On behalf of Mark Sisson and L. Russ, this is Brad Kearns. Till next time. In a supermarket full of mayo options, how do you know which one to pick? Well, there's an easy answer. The one that tastes good and is good for you. But here's the problem. Almost all store-bought mayonnaise contains industrial seed oils or eggs raised from hens treated with added hormones and antibiotics. Not exactly the best recipe for good health. Luckily, there's a new mayo creating a ton of buzz. It's called Primal Kitchen Mayo and contains only the finest superfood ingredients, including all-natural avocado oil and organic cage-free eggs. So no more trading good health for great taste. Go to primalblueprint.com today and pick up a three-pack. As an added bonus while supplies last, enter the code FREEBOOK at checkout to receive a free copy of Mark Sisson's Healthy Sauces, Dressings, and Toppings Cookbook with any three-pack mayo order.